wrapping up a series on why the church. Uh, a lot of folks don't attend. They say 20% in America cut, quit going to church. If anything, they might uh, stay at home, wear their pajamas, have a cup of coffee, and watch it online. And that's great when you're sick. Some churches have actually cut off the viewing within 10 miles of the church because people quit attending. They want to have their coffee, and you don't have to have the plate in front of you. And so uh, we're getting ready to whack you off. And no. But uh, uh, I'm going to look at a few verses, just a few verses. Then I'm going to launch into why the church, what is the future of the church. We started this last week. And we talked about the future of the temporal church, that uh, it's been through all kinds of storms, persecutions, perils. At times it's in revival. Other times it's not in revival. It's in good season, bad season. You know, uh, as Paul Crandall told me once, what do we do when we're not living in a time of revival? Uh, when I talk to pastors, I say, anybody being saved at your place? Anybody coming to Christ? And uh, I don't always hear there is. So you never know what the earthly journey is going to be. Are we lukewarm? Are we on fire? Have we lost our first love? Are we in love? Did you just get saved? Have you been saved? I mean, all these conditions that we all live with, it's just like yourself. Have you ever been more zealous for God than you are now? Have you ever had more energy for God than maybe you have now? Well, just keep having birthdays and energy will be a blessing because it's a diminishing supply. Uh, but I want to read with me in Titus. As we get ready, we're going to go, what is the future of the church eternally? And eight things we're going to look at. I'll review the two that we shared and then we'll look at the six other things. And I'm sure I'm missing some of them. But listen to what this verse says, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared. That's a past tense. Bringing salvation for all people. That had to be the coming of Christ. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting. What if that was wind? Waiting for the drudgery. Waiting for the great tribulation. Waiting for what? And what is that? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Uh, is Jesus ever called God? Right there. The appearing of our great God and Savior. It's used of him interchangeably, Jesus Christ. Our blessed hope that makes us happy is being saved gives you hope, and hope is simply faith projected in the future. It gives substance to it as though it's already occurred for you. You've already gone to heaven. You've already been raptured. It can be that real to you because faith is projected in the future. We call it hope. I've been saved in hope, and it's the hope of the blessed coming of Christ. 
Now, look at Revelation, one of the finest and probably simplest books in the Bible, if you would just read it. One guy said he didn't understand the book. I said, have you read it? He said, no. <laughs> and no wonder you don't understand it. Uh, look at Revelation 22, verse 7. Anybody got a red ink Bible? Okay, it's in red ink, so who's talking? And behold, I am coming quickly, soon. That is a tough verse, isn't it? It's been 2,000 years. The word... Uh, soon has the idea of sudden. When it happens, it'll be sudden, it'll be quick, it'll be over. And Jesus likened it to the days of the flood that all of a sudden it happened and they never knew what was coming. Boom! It was sudden, it was over, too late. It obviously didn't mean tomorrow, not tomorrow, not tomorrow, it's always been what we call imminent. There's no signs waiting to be fulfilled for Christ to come. But he said, I am coming soon, quickly, suddenly. But notice we keep on going. Look at verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Look at verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride, which is the church, say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's an invitation to come to Christ the water. Come to Christ the bread from heaven. So the spirit and the church, his bride, they're saying come. And they've been saying come for 2,000 years since the cross. Come. Come to Christ. He'll, he'll quench your thirst. Come to Christ. He'll quench the hunger of your heart. Come. Christ is coming. But he's saying, come. See, you're not ready for a second coming until you know why he came the first time. Have you ever received his first coming? And why? To save you. So now let's take a trip. Let's just imagine you just came to Christ. You, let's say you were in Corinth or Rome. You stepped out of idol worship, paganism. Uh, before this time, uh, you were taught by Greek philosophy to say, uh, when you die... We just throw you in the ground. They burn a lot of bodies. It's hard to get rid of a body when you're in a packed city and you don't have a funeral business. So they burn them up. Burn them. And they taught, Plato did, in Hercules, that you just evaporate and your existence ends at the grave. And that is a very popular view still today. You cease to exist the moment you die. The Bible has a totally different view of your future. Now, let's see what the Bible says. Let's start. We'll review. 
Last week we saw that Jesus said in the upper room, number one, I promise to return for my people. I Don't let your hearts be overwhelmed with sorrow. I'm going away, but I shall come again that I might bring you to myself to a place I'm preparing. We will look in Revelation later <clears throat> to see what the place looks like. But we have this promise. So I'm saved. Oh, by the way, did you know uh, there's a date in which Jesus is going to come back for you? You said, what? I said, Jesus is going to come back for you. Uh, look at, uh, listen to this. Turn to Mark, Mark 13. You might as well break in that, get that gold covering off those pages. Break it in. Look at uh, Mark 13, 32. What Jesus said in Matthew 24. But concerning that day when he comes back, or that hour, No one knows. Not even Harold Campy. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows when he's coming back. No one knows the hour or the day. But he said, I'm coming back. Have you ever had guests tell you, we'll see you next week? What day? Uh, we don't know. We'll just show up. My mother's mother used to do that. I hated it because everything had to be clean every day. <laughs> Mama's coming. Mama's coming. So what? I don't want to make up my bed. Mama's coming. You go make up your bed. So David made up the bed. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. He's coming. He's coming like a thief that you're not expecting or a guest returning, so Christ can come any moment, any moment. So number one, he promises, I will return for my own, John 14. Two, we read 1 Thessalonians 4, when he comes, He's going to do two things. He's going to resurrect all saints who have died before he returns. And he's going to change a whole generation that will still be alive when he comes. And he translates them, changes them in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And so we may be a part of that generation that just like that, in a moment, twinkling of an eye, we're changed and we're with the Lord. He takes us up, the dead in Christ rise and we go up together to see the Lord. Now that, whether you know it or not, you didn't have a vote, you are already got a ticket to be in that event. He, that will happen. It's automatic. And, and he's going to change your body, change them in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So I got two things. He promised he'd come back, 
1 Thessalonians 4 tells me what that will look like, whether I get resurrected or if I'm going to be translated. Now, three. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he comes for the saints in the air. But guess what he does in Revelation 19? Look at that. Revelation 19. All believers believe in the second coming of Christ, but some feel there's just one coming, that he comes uh, at the end of this age, and he comes. There's some of us, we believe that coming's in two parts. One, the rapture, we believe, is before the tribulation, a seven-year period of great wrath and judgment on the earth from God. And so some believe we go through that period, some believe we don't. We're of the view that we're going to get out of here by way of being raptured. And that word rapture is from a Greek word, harpazo, caught up, caught up. We won't fight with you about rapture, but we will about harpazo. We will be caught away. Then what's amazing is Revelation, he comes along and he says, we saints show up again, but it's a second part to the coming. Watch this. We'll pick up at verse uh, 11, 1911. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by what she is called is the word of God. And notice, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen. Angels don't wear this. This describes saints. The saints who've been rewarded, who have garments of fine linen. Now watch what it says. White and pure were following him on white horses. His army happens to be the saints he saved. Have you ever rode a horse? You will hear. <laughs> From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Notice he doesn't come in blessing. He doesn't come here. In First Thessalonians, he comes to blow the trumpet, sound, we're resurrected, we're translated. But here's another coming. And it's not coming to bless. It's coming to judge. This is his return to the earth with his saints. We've already been with him seven years. Now we're riding back. The king that you spit on, that you rejected, that the kings of the earth said, this Galilean will never rule over us. He's coming back with heaven's armies. And I think you and I will be in the army. And he says... He, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, Psalms 2. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a new name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Now, see, we're going to be raptured for the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? 
Okay? Now watch this feast. And he called all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies. They're in Armageddon. They've gathered to fight against Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that are saved. They've gathered, and they've got their armies in Armageddon. They're out there on the scene. The nations of the earth have been driven there by demons unleashed in the Euphrates rivers, Revelation 16. And their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet. The beast is the Antichrist. False prophet. He's the preacher who, who promotes him during the tribulation. Who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped its image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is the coming of Christ someday, not to offer salvation, but to rule and to take and smash his enemies like a potter's vessel. He will say, I am God. I came and you killed me. You crucified me. You cursed me. You called me a child of fornication. I come back not to negotiate, but to rule. Listen, listen to what the saints will be doing. You got to see this, 2 Thessalonians. Turn over there, 2 Thessalonians. Notice what we'll be doing during this scene. This is an amazing thing. He's talking to persecuted saints, and he says, uh, he will come again, uh, that Second uh, Thessalonians 1, chapter 1, and we'll pick up uh, verse 6. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So he's telling his saints, don't worry. I'm going to get even with those that are persecuting you. It's quite an interesting Revelation 6 that the martyrs pray that God will take vengeance on those who killed them. In heaven, they will be praying, knock off our enemies. They killed us because we were Christians. Now, we say, oh, that's an unforgiving spirit. He never says anything about that. Judge our enemies. And he will. And watch. He's coming to replay, repay with affliction those who afflict you, to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So we get in this. Now he's bringing angels with him. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We're always saying, believe the gospel. He says, obey the gospel. There's no saving faith without obedience. If you claim to know God, you don't want to obey. You don't know him. 
You don't know him. You don't know him. You're deceived with religion. Those who love him obey him. John 14. He who loves me keeps my commands, and his commands are not a burden. And he comes. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. He's saying that when Christ comes back and he's going to judge the armies of Armageddon, he's going to judge the nations of the earth. And in this scene, he says, his saints will just sit back along with spirit beings and admire his power, admire the might he's showing. He says, this is our God. This is our King. This is our Savior. Not riding on a donkey this time. He's riding the best stallions of heaven. He's riding in as a conqueror, greater than a Nero, greater than any Roman. If this is coming, and whether you like it or not, the whole world is going to see this event. The saints are going to see it alongside of him. The rest of the earth is going to be judged by this mighty, vengeful, get even God that says, you rejected everything I gave you. Now I reject you. I banish you from my presence forever. This is coming, this is coming, this is coming. The fourth thing we want to consider, this gets a little heavy. Go to Romans 8. So I promise to come again. I will come to rapture my people translate some. I promise to come to the earth again and to pour out vengeance on those who hate me and reject me. Now, in Romans 8, Paul picks up a theme that is a part of your salvation. He said, your salvation started in eternity past. For whom he foreknew, and that word foreknow, a better translation, is foreloved. The word no in Hebrew is yada. And yada was the term to depict sexual union in marriage. He went into the tent and he knew her. That was the euphemism for consummating the marriage. So the word no was not two plus two equals four. It meant to have intimate knowledge of. And so what he's saying there is God had intimate knowledge of you before you existed. You were foreloved before you even showed up. And then he says, while you're reeling from that, he says, and at that time he set limits around your life we call predestination. He set boundaries around your life. Who, where you would be born, what color you would be, what your hair texture is going to be like, which nation you're going to be born in, who your mom and dad's going to You had nothing to do with all of that. He did. I don't believe in it. You don't have to. You don't undo God. You're just an unbeliever. But he said, I'm telling you the roadmap. Then, by the way, he called. 
And those he called to salvation, there's two calls in salvation. The general call, many are called. Few are what? Chosen. Ah, and then, then it becomes a family name, the called ones. You, the voice went out and we heard it and responded. The rest are just hearing the general voice, the gospel. I heard it for years and now finally heard it in 58. I said, grew up in church, but in 58, I heard the voice of the shepherd, come follow me. You never heard it till you heard it. Wow. Never heard it till you started following. That's when you started. Up to now, you just heard a lot of sermons, a lot of songs, and a lot of religion, but you don't know him until you hear that voice. My sheep hear my voice. They will come. They will come. Every sheep is someone following the shepherd. They'll come. So he said they are not only called, they're justified. And then he does a word. You think Paul doesn't know how to use grammar. You know, he's stuttering now. And he said, by the way, they were glorified. Wait, Paul, uh, you could have been in a prison cell at this time. You're going to wind up in prison two to three times. You're going to wind up beheaded. You're going to wind up beat. What do you mean you're glorified? How could that be past tense? He said, when you're dealing with an eternal being, he's already mapped my future, and the end of the story is I'm going to be glorified. And in his mind, it's done. Glorified. Glorified body. Now watch what this glory looks like. Oh, wait, watch it. Okay, am I there? Okay. Sound people, you can run up here and correct if you. Let's pick up uh, verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hey, wait, wait. Okay, just take that in. Nothing in this life can compare to the glory that's coming. Just kind of thing. There's going to be such glory coming. C.S. Lewis said, everything you've hungered for that you've never tasted is just a foreglimpse of the glory. Because in this life, even a new car wears off real quick. About third payment. You know, new stuff just, it just kind of goes, oh, if I could have this, I'd be satisfied. No, 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 no. You don't need to put out a bunch of money because you won't. If, if I can only marry her, mm -mm. relationships, if I just had, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, only thing that will satisfy is Jesus. And what Jesus says you wait until I show you the glory that's coming. Now watch what he says. He goes on here. This is Bible study. I'm not trying to preach. I'm trying to explain. If you get blessed, count it whatever you want. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Most folks think we're just bumpkins. You're just Joe Blow. You wait. Someday God's going to show off his kids to angels and men, and it's going to be staggering to see when he displays all of his family in the heavens. I want to show these are sons. Sons. They're not just 
laborers, cement finishers, plumbers, electricians, poor, rich, white, black, yeah. And I want to show off who the sons are. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation came under a curse at the fall. The original creation had no thorns. There was no need for anything. Everything was like a, a sealed garden. You didn't worry about wind, storms, fire, uh, any of that. Everything You were in this sealed case, as it were, in paradise. Perfect environment. But when the fall came, women started screaming, crying, having their babies. Never meant to be from the beginning. Creation started yielding more thorns than it did grain. Man that used to be able to just pick the fruit and eat now has to labor and drip and have perspiration dripping off of him just to feed a family. It's come under a curse. Now watch. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I want to know if there's any groaners here. Carolyn says, what's that groaning? I said, it's biblical. <laughs> God said I can groan. All creation's groaning, huh? We're groaning. There's got to be something better than this body. How many prescriptions are you on? I hate to travel because I'm afraid I'm going to leave one of the brand. One of the this, I need this for blood pressure. I need this for that. Man, I'll be glad when there's no more hypodermic needles. I'll be glad when there's no more surgeries. Victoria goes in for a back surgery tomorrow. We just had another brother, uh, Dave Pinkson, back surgery. Just had another individual this week, had a pacemaker. Let me tell you, if you live long enough, it's going to demand more maintenance. Yeah. You know what? What midlife crisis is, is a first semester report card. You're getting old. <laughs> and your energy supply is diminished. Your sight might be diminished. Whatever. It's just a part of the curse that we've come under. But he said, we who have the spirit long for another day when our body redeemed will be unleashed. We'll get rid of Patty, someday you'll be over all those back problems. You'll be over all this suffering. I want to tell you, it's a suffering world. Seven billion people on this planet suffering. They can't get clean water. They can't keep guinea worms from uh, taking over their body. It is a painful creation. And he said, we got saints saying, I am groaning for the day of the curse is lifted from my body. And God said, guess what? I'm not just going to forgive your sins. I've already ordered a new body for you. You're going to get a redeemed body. Brand new. Brand new. Uh, kind of makes you want to go to heaven. Uh, 
fifth thing we get is the resurrection body. And you read that in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ said, I'm the first fruit of those that slept. So we know that Christ showed himself for over 40 days after his resurrection. He ate with people. He talked to people. He was so physical you could touch him. Thomas could touch him. In uh, other words, sometimes I think in the glorified body, we think we're going to be glorified jellyfish, you know. It's going to be uh, globby, or, or we're going to be uh, under the influence of uh, Greek philosophy. It's not real. It, it won't. You're going to have a real body, yes, real body. You, you won't just slip through. No, 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 there'll be flesh and bone. You'll have a real body. And he's promised that to you. Uh, the Greeks, once again, said you just evaporate. You, you're, just like, you're like a dog when you die. You just, you just, just dispose of the body and, and no more. That's it. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm the resurrection and the life. And I'm going to demonstrate in John 5, I will raise men and women to a resurrection unto death or a resurrection unto life. But no matter who you are, Hitler, you're going to be resurrected. St. Paul, you're going to be resurrected. I'm going to show everybody in all creation I'm in charge of life and death. I'm going to raise every dead man, every dead woman that ever lived. Some will go to an eternal hell Others will spend eternity with me. But I will raise him to show I'm Lord of life and death. He will resurrect our body. We will stand up someday. Can you ever imagine what the new body will be like? He said he'll conform it like unto his own. Philippians 3.21. 1 John 3 says, oh my, you got to look at that. Just look at 1 John 3. Am I going too fast? Okay. Have any time? We'll take questions at the end, but I would have to screen them all. Look at First John three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I'm going to be just like Jesus someday in my body going to be glorified. You can kill me. You can crucify me. You can behead me. You can do whatever you want. But Jesus, don't fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can destroy the soul. So, what's the, you ought to read these books on church history and how these martyrs would defy death. Go ahead and kill me. I'll live again with Jesus. Go ahead. I have but one body to give to my Savior. I mean, we're all clinging to it, clinging. He said, no, no, dispose. I'm going to get a new one anyway. Yes, sir. I want to get a new one anyway. famous missionary 
I'm going blank on the last name. He went to the New Hebrides. John was, what? John Patton, that's right. He grew up in a Scottish Presbyterian church, and uh, they didn't believe in missions. They were very Calvinistic and non-missionary minded. But uh, John wanted to go to the New Hebrides, which were infested with cannibal-eating tribes. And uh, uh, these uh, Calvinists took the view, if God wants to save them, let him save them. But don't waste your life going out there to tell them. Uh, and I'm more afraid of hyper-Calvinists than I am biblical Calvinism. Just say, leave it up to God. He's sovereign. He can say, no, God, if God wants to save a bunch of people, he's going to send somebody to preach to them, teach them. They won't get saved if you don't go. God does not come down and do the work he told his church to do. But they had a meeting, and they were debating whether they should go or not. One and this one elder in the church stood up and said, Don't go, John. Don't go. They're cannibalistic. You will waste your life. You'll be throwing your life on a cannibal's dinner table, to be blunt. Don't waste your life. John Patton, the young John Patton, he said, sir, it doesn't matter if I go or stay at home. He said, if I'm there being eaten by the cannibals, you're eventually going to be eaten by worms in Scotland. So it makes no difference to me if it's cannibals or worms. The body's going to end. And he did go, and he lived to be 85, and he hid in trees many a night while cannibals tried to find him to kill him. Every family, if you can get a kid's version of John Patton and New Hebrides, it would be worth the reading. Well, new body, I must hurry up. Uh, something we won't go into is that uh, in the future, God's going to reward his people for every deed they've done for Christ. Uh, he said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive reward for whether we've done good or bad. Did you know everything you've ever done for Christ, a record is being kept of it, and he's going to reward you someday. Have you ever done something in secret that nobody knew about? You slipped some money to them. You bought food for them. Uh, you gave them even to a beggar on the street. Uh, have you ever done anything for Jesus? that the only motive was for Jesus. You didn't want anyone to know it. You weren't trying to be discovered. I just did it because I love Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given any time for Jesus? Have you ever given any money for Jesus? You know, we like in our ministry fund, we, we always are struggling. We're always struggling because so many of you have never learned to give. There will be no reward for not giving. Oh, I'm busy, busy. You're busy doing busy. And counting for nothing. But Jesus says someday, if you've ever, ever, hear me, hear me, 
If you've ever stooped to give a man a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, I've kept a record of it. Did you hear me? A cup of water. That's why you got to talk to depression mentality people like my mom and dad and many others that I've talked to. You never turn a hobo away during the depression. If a man's hungry and you've got it, feed him. Did you ever feed anybody? Here, Malcolm and Joe spent 30 years in Second McDonald. Gave up being a contractor in Florida to being cool to come out here and build chapels and wind up feeding the poor. He says, someday I'm going to reward you. Uh, if you love my sheep and take care of them, I'll give you a shepherd's crown. If you love the fact I'm coming again, I'll give you a crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Crowns of joy. Have you ever done anything for God, or has it all been about you? Some people are surrounded on the north, south, east, and west by them. And it gets awful lonely. Why don't you start giving something to Jesus? He will reward you. He will reward you. Besides rewards, he says, are you ready? That he's chosen his church to reign with him. Listen to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2 says in verse 11, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also... I can't hear you. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Turn to, uh, oh, go to Revelation 22, 5. Talking about the new Jerusalem and the saints. And it says, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign Reign forever and ever. Tell those fishermen, some days I'm going to put you over the tribes of Israel, and you'll get to reign over them. He said, church, someday I'm going to let you judge men and angels with me in 1 Corinthians 6. Someday you're going to be judging with Christ. We're also going to reign. I don't know what I get to reign over, but there will be nations during the uh, millennium. And he's got a cabinet he's forming right now. And he tells the church, as my wife, as the bride of the Lamb, you will sit on the throne, and believe me, you will co-reign with him. He said, we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. You got all of this by just accepting Jesus. All you wanted was your sins washed away. All you wanted was to sleep good tonight and not know you're going to hell. That would have been plenty. But now he said, would you like to reign with me? Lord, reign with you. I've been running from you. He said, no, you're going to reign with me. 
Would you like to be rewarded? Rewarded for what, Lord? You took all my burdens. You took all my sin. No, everything you've done for me, every dollar, every hour, everything you've ever done for me will not be lost. I keep a record of it. We got stingy saints trying to think, oh, I can't, I can't. Oh, you greedy, greedy loser. Why don't you start putting something in his hand, a cup of cold water in his hand, he'll give you a reward. You cannot do anything for God and him not reckon on it and count on it. You're not serving some poor mouth God. You're ser serving someone that owns everything. Who's been giving you all this breath, giving you this breath, giving you these opportunities? Who's blessed you? I tell you, was it the turkey? God is the blesser. And he said, I'll reward you. I want to let you reign with me. And finally, uh, let's just go and see what our new home looks like, a return to paradise. We'll just lift up some things that are worth shouting about. And uh, then we'll just close. And I'm sure I'm missing things about the future that I'll repeat them after a while, see if you took any notes, see if you can remember. Look at, look at this place. I, I put in my notes here for you. We'll have face-to-face -face fellowship with Jesus. Uh, it will be a life of rest. You know, a lot of Christians are thoroughly trashed and wore out from their service. Most American Christians are wore out from sitting in front of a TV. They say if you sit in front of a TV four hours a day, it's as bad as being a chain smoker. It's so bad on your health and your heart. You know, why, why get all excited about a bunch of jokers out there making millions that you don't even know their mama's name? Don't be a slave to sports. Don't be a slave to the TV. Don't be, hey, hey. I mean, I, I just see some Christians that they're just tired. But I don't know what, what from. Uh, they're tired from being tired. He, he saved you to be a worker. He saved. Uh, Jason and I were talking to a millennial here the other day, and, and we asked her, Help us figure out millennials. Now, this was a millennial. So I'm not trashy. And I said, well, one thing, we're lazy, and two, we feel entitled. And Jason and I said, yes. <laughs> Some way we just kind of hit hands. I, I'm amazed at how non-energetic so many young people are. They just, they, they just, video games are the only thing they got the strength to do. <laughs> Have you ever mowed a lawn? What's that? Rebecca used to mow my lawn. I think I gave her a dollar. No, I, attacked, I, mean, I took the tithe out of it. Let's see. He talks about it will be a place where they will rest from their labors. Do you have any labors to rest from? A life free from sin. He keeps telling you there won't be this kind of person, that kind of, I mean, it's going to be house cleaning. 
None of the wicked will be there. Um, Continual service. I love what he said. Only those in the lambs. Look, 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 look at this. Look at this. Verse 14, verse chapter 20. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if, any na- if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's pretty bad. He goes on, and he says, I want you to, I'm looking for only those who have their names in the Lamb's book of life. Someone find that. 2127. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But those, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, you can't get into this city unless you RSVP. And he says the book ends with the spirit and the bride saying, come, why don't you sign up? Why don't you come? Unless you come, he's never going to tell you to come. You can't come into the city until you come to him now. Your option is only two, heaven or hell, Christ or yourself. But I love the fact that Christ, as it were, I mean, this is just beautiful to me. Just He's carrying around his day timer, you know. We used to use it. He, he's got the list of who's going to be there. Is your name in his book? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Is your name in the Lamb's? That's the guest list. And only those who have put faith in Christ as their slain lamb get invited into the city. Because he excludes, look at 21.8. Look at 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There's a whole lot of sinners that used to be in that category. They're actually in the Lamb's Book of Life. They used to be these things. But they accepted the Lamb. And God got them into heaven, got them on the list. Look at verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who are you living with? What are you doing with sex life? What are you doing? Sorcery? Are you on pharmacy? Drugs so you can worship another world. Get on enough meth that you can get into another world and get out of your misery. He said, 
when I get a hold of you and I get you in my family, you won't need meth. You'll need me. And I will cure you. I will break the chains. I will deliver you. Because everybody going to that city, going to this feast, going to this party, I set them free now to start the journey. And if anyone asks you now, what is in your future as a church? I'll tell you. I don't know about Valley. I don't know about you. But I know Jesus is coming back for me. I know that. He said it. Two, I know I'm going to be resurrected or translated. He said I would. Three, I know I'm going to return with Christ when he judges the nations, and I'm going to stand back and sit back and say, watch my king go, and all he needs is his mouth. He doesn't come with tornadoes. He doesn't come with tanks. He said he slays him by the word of his mouth. Is the word of God powerful? It makes the devil flee, and it's going to make the nations tremble as their rejected Savior is going to judge them. I know I'm going to reign with Christ someday. I know every cup of water I've given in his name, I'm going to get a reward for it someday. I know I'm going to get a redeemed body someday. I know I'm going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friends, i got a future, and so do you. We've got hope. we got hope. Let me say this as we close. C.S. Lewis said these great words. Some have said this pie-in-the-sky theology would destroy you. And C.S. Lewis made this observation. Those who have done the most for this world thought the most of another world. The more you focus on that day, that hour, that event, the more you'll be urgent about evangelism, the more you say, I don't have forever. I may come tonight. I may come now. You don't have forever to get on board and get in love. When will you give God what's left? When will you say to the Lamb, I just want to give you everything i got left. What could I have ever done to earn an invitation to a feast that God is going to feed the church? And guess what? We just start this eternity business. How long is eternity? Forever. Now look, and some of you look bored. Are you bored at the thought? No. I mean, if it bores you, God has nothing better but to open your eyes and to see what you got. Have you ever seen on Christmas morning the child taken up with a toy that won't last a week and they could be blind, the grandpa will give them a $1,000, you know, gift certificate or some big deal in their account? They don't know. They don't. We're so tamed by these toys. We don't know what the true treasure is. Just to be in the book. I tell you, I'm going to walk around all next week saying, I'm in the book. 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 Are you in the book? Receive Christ. If not, and if you are, let's take communion and rejoice that the Lamb included you, included you. Let's stand, and we'll have our brothers come and serve communion to us.